Cool, so we are back in our series called Unlocking the Kingdom. And let's move that out of the way. Three weeks ago, um, I was looking at how we have authority to do the stuff like Jesus. So, but this week, we're going to look at kingdom obedience, relying on the Father, which I think is going to be pretty, pretty timely for this morning, really, with everything that we've been kind of worshipping about and talking about and just the realisation that he's got it all, we've got nothing, that's not a bad place to be. So um, last, well three weeks ago we looked at a few verses like this one in Luke chapter 9 it said, when Jesus called the twelve together he gave them power and authority to drive out demons, to cure diseases and to send, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. And we looked at other verses like this one where Jesus is speaking in John 14. He says, Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So we looked at the fact that our job as Christians is not just to be nice people and read our Bibles and sing Kumbaya. We're actually meant to do the works of Jesus. We're meant to do miracles. We're meant to, to be an answer to the problems around us. We're meant to see salvation come to people and see people's lives transformed and the kingdom of God extend. And, and read our Bibles and if you want to sing Kumbaya you can. But it's not a favourite of mine. So the kingdom of God, it comes, it's, it's righteousness, peace and joy through the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're looking at and we want to see that manifest among us just more and more God's, God's rule and his change coming to the earth. So as I said, I want to look at um, not necessarily what we're called to do, but some of the keys, like how are we meant to do this? How are we meant to step out to see the kingdom come? And I want to look at how we need to rely solely on God's strength and give away our self-reliance or our ability to think that we can do it on our own. And I want to look at a passage from Luke 9 of the feeding of the 5,000 and just tell you that story and then just pick out a few bits from that, tell you a bit of our journey, some stuff we're going through at the moment and just... Uh, look at some stuff, how it applies to our lives now. So you can follow along in your Bible, but I'm going to just read, I'm just going to tell you the story anyway from Luke 9. Um, and it's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So just before this, um, like the verse I just read before, Jesus sent out his 12 apostles and he said, you go do the stuff. I give you authority, I give you power, go and heal the sick, go and share about the kingdom, come and help people who are oppressed by spiritual attack. And they came back to Jesus just like fizzling, like, I can't believe this happened. And they came back telling him the stories of all the things that had gone on. And Jesus tries to draw them away and spend some time with them just to kind of, I imagine, debrief and you know, talk about, so what happened, John? And what happened, Peter? And what did you learn from this? And just minister to his, his close guys and just build them up again and, and refresh them. But just like a celebrity that uh, forgets to go outside with his baseball cap and glasses on, suddenly people start recognising that Jesus' and his disciples are there and they start following them. And you know, word gets around on Facebook and all of a sudden 5,000 people, 5,000 men, which is probably more like 20,000 people in total, follow Jesus and his tired disciples to a desolate place. And they're just like, Jesus, we want, we want, we want you to teach us, we want, we want you to heal us, we want to be with you. And I don't know if you've ever had this, um, like, you have the busiest week of your whole life and you're just absolutely shattered and then someone knocks on the door and it's just like, hey, can I hang out? And you're just like, please just go away. <laughs> I'm tired, you know, I've been, been full on and I just need some me time, I need my own little castle here. Um, you might not 
be as rude as to tell them to go away, but you might feel like that in your heart. Um, and I had a situation like this where I was leading a connect group a long time ago and a friend of mine turned up for connect group at 3.30 and it started at 7. And I was just like, hey man, how's it going? And I was, you know, I had things planned and it was like, this is me time and I've got this happening. Um, and I probably didn't deal with it as graciously as Jesus did in this passage because he just welcomes them. And he sits them down, they start, he starts to teach them, he heals everyone who needs healing and he just ministers to them. And in Mark, it says that he, he looked at them like sheep that were frazzled and needed a leader, and he had compassion on them, even though he was trying to get away with his disciples. He just welcomed the crowds and, um, and ministered to them. That's the right response right there. <laughs> so what happens is that he starts teaching them, the day starts wearing on, the day's getting long, they're in the middle of nowhere, and Jesus' disciples come to him and say, don't you think it's probably a good idea to send them away, shoo them off? They need somewhere to sleep. They need somewhere to eat. Just, you know, dismiss the crowds, Jesus. And Jesus looks at them, probably with a bit of a cheeky smile in his eye, I'm guessing, and he says to them, you feed them. And I know that this story for many of us is like a Sunday school story. We've heard it many times. But just think how ridiculous that statement is. You feed 5, 10, 20,000 people. The disciples' answer drip, is dripping with unbelief, or we'd probably call it realism. <laughs> and they say, well, we've only got five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all these people. <laughs> you know, sort of sarcastically answering Jesus, because there's nowhere to buy food and it would cost thousands of dollars. And Jesus, well, who knows what his reaction would probably sighs. Okay, watch this, this is going to be good. And he tells the disciples to sit the crowds down in groups of 50. And he takes the little amount of food they have. And it says he looks up to heaven and he blesses it. And then gives it to his disciples to distribute. And everyone who needs food eats and is satisfied. And they pick up 12 basketfuls of food at the end. Which is more than what they started with. And God supernaturally multiplies food for thousands of people. Now that is amazing, an amazing story. But that's, this is something that really happened, and God hasn't changed. And I know three weeks ago I was sharing a little sort of feedback from Tim in Mozambique, and I still haven't heard the full details, but he saw food multiplied in Mozambique in the last sort of six weeks. And actually right now he's, um, he's gone off into the bush on four-wheel drives for a two-day outreach out to the middle of nowhere to share the gospel and, and, and pray for people who need healing. So pray for him, pray for protection, pray for breakthrough. I managed to get a phone call with him this week, and he was just full of... God's teaching him stuff, and he's just so full of faith about what's going on. But it's not easy, so we need to keep praying and lifting him up in prayer. But this stuff happens. God is a God who multiplies things. He's a supernatural God. He can do miracles. So what I want to do this morning is focus on five words from, really, from one line of the story, and then look at that, what, what that means for us. And those, that line and those five words are this. Taking the loaves and the two, five loaves and two fish... He looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And it's this idea that Jesus looked up to heaven in his moment of, I haven't got any resources, I haven't got any solutions here, my Father in heaven does, and I'm looking to him, and then he blesses what he's got, and suddenly a miracle happens. And the key here is that there's a massive difference between Jesus' perspective 
and his disciples. They are looking at what, are they, what they've got in their hands and they go, this is what we've got and we have no, no, not enough resources for all these people, probably for like 10 more plus the disciples could eat a little bit of bread they've got. Jesus is focused on his heavenly father and he knows that he can accomplish what he's called Jesus to do. The disciples were looking at what's in their hands. Jesus uses that. He blesses it, but he's looking to his heavenly father. He's looking to, to God to do it. And Jesus lived as a son, completely dependent on his father for everything. He was completely reliant on God. It says in John 5.19, I think I may have shared this three weeks ago. It says, the son, this is Jesus talking, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. The son can do nothing by himself, but only what he sees his father doing. This was the success of Jesus in his life, was that he learnt to do nothing apart from what God was doing. And I don't think this means that he physically had no capabilities. He became a man, so with that became a certain amount of strength, but also a lot of weakness. So I'm sure if he really wanted to, he could have tried to do things in his own strength. But it's like he's saying here, I give up my right to do anything in my own strength. I'm going to do it all by the grace of God. He decided he was going to do nothing unless it was fully reliant on his father. You know, as we, as we look at the prophetic words, the plans, the things in our heart for, for this church, for our lives, for, for our families, we've got to realize that in our own resources, none of that is going to happen. We, we don't have the capabilities to save anyone or plant churches or, you know, we're talking about Catalyst and the amazing things they're doing then to Somalia and um, Turkey and all these things, the nations aren't going to get reached by our strength. It's going to be, they're going to be reached by people who go, I've got nothing, but I'm looking, I'm looking to heaven, I'm looking to my Father who can do it. There's no other way, because <laughs> it's in our weakness, he's strong. And this is pretty, pretty opposite to the way our society sees success because in our world, success is independence. It's financial independence. Make sure you're working towards that. Um, it's about having choices. Do, choose whatever you want. Don't rely on anyone. Uh, make sure that you can, you've got time to do what you want to do and make sure you can do it. If you've got the smarts and, and the brains and, and the connections to get things done, that's what our world would class as success. And it's the opposite for us. <laughs> and PJ from, from Bedford, he's one of the elders in Bedford, he says this, Christian maturity is increasingly realizing that we are dependent on our Father for everything. And he goes on to say this, ultimately the success of your life will be measured by your ability to trust and follow a loving Heavenly Father around. Well, he goes, you just follow and that will, that will be the success, the measure of success in your life. Can you do that? Or are you trying to do things in your own resources? It's about giving up our self-reliance, which is pretty, pretty hard. And this is something that um, I feel like Minnie and I are really learning to a new level at the moment, um, especially in the area of finances. That's a huge area for us at the moment. And Claire, Todd and Steve are probably here somewhere. They're probably smiling and nodding because they, they prayed with me on Monday night. We, I spent some time with the both of them and they just prayed through some of the stuff that was going on in my life in a healing prayer type context, helping me just to work through the lies that I was believing, some of the kind of resentment I had in my heart and also the truth that God wanted to bring 
And it was such, such a great time, such a powerful time where God brought comfort to me and he helped me to deal with some of the things that were going on behind the scenes, some of the lies that were kind of causing me just to feel like, ugh, stressed. And just a bit of background on that. Um, I actually feel like in our marriage, for many and I, faith for God's provision has been something that God's been teaching us on quite a lot, like from when we very first got married. And I'm not exactly sure why, but I always found it, I had more faith that God would provide for me, my wife and kids, than when it was just me, single by myself. I was much more um, faithless or worried when it was just me. But it was kind of like, well, I know that God will provide for me because I've got all these, you know, I've got little boys to provide for. And, and it just it rose faith in my heart. But I think a big part of that is actually when we were very, very newly married, God started teaching us some things um, about money and about his, him being a good father and providing for us. So we, we travelled um, to a few different countries around the world twice when we were first married. And we didn't really have a lot of ability to save before we went on that first trip. But somehow we had the money that we needed and we got to a country and ran out of money. And then God would just provide the next thousand dollars and we would carry on going where, where God, um, we felt God was telling us to go. And it was just this testimony for us of just like, wow, we're doing this together and God is providing for us. And we're learning that it's not about our strength. It's about him who he, he pays for what he tells you to do. And... Uh, We've had a lot of amazing moments throughout our six years of marriage. Yeah, married for six years. It's pretty good. <laughs> Some of you are like, that's nothing. <laughs> 36, 46. You want to raise me? No. Um, so in our, in our years of marriage, we've had some amazing times where God has provided for us. And, and one of the most, the biggest really is in the last year, we bought a house when we thought there's no way we could afford to buy a house. And we moved in with my parents for two months. <laughs> Either side of a trip we were going on, that turned into three years, and we had a baby, and we got pregnant with another one, and, um, and we thought, we did the numbers and thought, there's no way we can even afford to rent a house on, on the current sort of situation with our finances, and God just turned it around through some amazing things, and we bought a house, and we've been there for a year, and it's been such a blessing to us. And we've kind of, we've learned as well, God's been teaching us about how to give generously away, and it, really that's been... We try to have this motto in our heart that God will provide what we need. Our job is just to be generous wherever we can. So if there's occasions that arise, we're praying, God, let us be generous. And we want to try and be generous to, to whatever comes our way. And we're trying to be generous to, to the church. Not because someone's kind of looking over our shoulder like, are you giving? And is it a certain percentage? That's not what we do in this church. We give because we believe that God is doing something amongst us. And we sow in our time and our energy and our emotions and our resources. We feel like we want to see the kingdom expand in, in Porirua and in the Wellington region. So we, like as a couple, we want to give to that because we want to see it grow and see people reached and see people released through ministry and all that kind of stuff. And we also want to give when there's, when there's other occasions, other individual, other things. That's what we're looking for. But to be honest, recently, I've hit a bit of a wall when it comes to finances and a bit of just like, felt like the ground kind of like opened up beneath me and I fell through. That's what it felt like. And Minnie was still really in faith about stuff, and, and she's a great woman of faith. But I just, I just felt like, oh, what's going on, God? And all this anxiety started coming back, and, and the kind of tension and trying to then hold on to everything. And just, it's just, it's not been easy. And it's really, as I was praying through with Steve and Claire, what God was showing me is that I drew lines in the sand and, and sort of gave God the rules. <laughs> 
And it was like, well, if you, this is the way we're going to do it. This is what it means for you to provide for me. And I drew a line in the sand. And you see, God, he, he's actually about relationship. He doesn't really like it when we give him rules. <laughs> He's, he's a father and he wants us to go on an adventure. So he's just kind of smilingly rubbing out these lines and still providing for us, but in ways that I felt, well, if that's what's happening, God, that means you haven't provided and, and you've let me down. And God's saying, no, I'm taking you on an adventure. I want your trust at a deeper level and you don't get to draw lines in the sand. That's, you, know, <laughs> you get to come, grab my hand and follow me. So that's been painful. And, and what I did on Monday night, which was so helpful and Stephen Clare helped me with, the, with this, is that it's like I knew the truth, and, and my dad was so helpful on this to show me, yeah, but look at what God has done. Look at how he's provided. Look at the truth. But there was some stuff inside me that was like, yeah, but this is what I'm feeling. I feel quite abandoned, and I feel a resentment towards God that is almost like the truth is not allowing the truth to stick as deeply as I would have liked. So what I did on Monday night, and the guys helped me, was just to work that through, just say, God, this is what it feels like. I feel like you let me down. I feel like, where are you in my finances? And as I did that, and actually I got quite angry at times and just let that out, because God knows what's in your heart, and it's actually for our benefit if we just tell him it and be in a relationship where you don't like hide things from God. You just talk to him. He likes that. So as I worked that through, suddenly you know, truth was coming, and I was able to repent of lies that I was believing, and, and and I was working through, well, this is the truth about what God is saying. And it stuck into a deep place and gave me a much greater sense of peace than before. It doesn't mean it's been easy since, but I feel like God has taken me somewhere a bit closer into him. And it's been really, really helpful and given me a gift of faith for the season we're in. And actually, one of the things God spoke to me about, this is quite strange, he gave me a picture because often God will speak to you in the way that you can hear him, and for me it's often through pictures. He gave me a picture of him dancing on my grave with a big cheeky smile on his face. And that sounds really inappropriate. I thought so too. <laughs> okay? So I asked God, what, what does that mean? And he started to explain to me that it was actually, he was dancing on the grave of my old self. The Bible talks about your old self that, was, that died with Christ. And then you're raised to life with him. And actually that old self is, is a self that goes, I've got to make, make it my own way in the world. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an orphan who's got to do it, do it himself. I've got to be self-reliant. I've got to make things happen. Actually that self died when I became a Christian. So what, why do I bother thinking like that anymore? And God was saying to me, actually when you realize that you have no strength, when you give, out, give up your right to do things in your own strength, it's like... You're, you're dying another death of your old self. And God's saying, that's actually where the joy starts. You know, he was dancing, and he was inviting me in to dance with him and say, hey, it's when you realize that you've got nothing, that's where strength starts, because you realize that he's got it all, and you go on an adventure in his strength and not yours. So I hope that helps someone else, because that picture for me was just like, you know, like a revelation straight to me that was just so helpful. And really, he's asking us to be like a child, and I, I think a big part of being a child is actually give it, getting rid of self-reliance. Kids don't rely on themselves. They, mum, can you do this? Dad, can you do this? Can you help me with this? Can you, you know, they, they're always asking for, for help. And actually in Matthew 18, it talks about being humble like a little child.
And I think that actually, you know, we talk a lot in this church about knowing God as our Father, but it's in areas like this, areas of, of trusting Him, of finance, of difficulty in other areas. This is where the rubber hits the road, where knowing God as your loving, caring Father goes from being an eerie, fairy theory, I'm going to try and say that one, <laughs> an eerie, fairy theory, to a reality as you daily trust Him for your resources, as you daily trust Him to fulfill the plans for your family and your life and those you love who need, who need God's help. That's where you learn to, to experience the love of the Father and the daily trust and giving up your right to do it in your own strength. As Jesus looked up to heaven and, and thanked God for what he had and then saw God multiply it, that's what we're called to do. And the Bible talks about us having access to grace when we actually are humble. So there's an amazing verse that's in, in James that says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes you when you're proud. So I don't want to be proud <laughs> because I want grace from God. He gives us grace to bear fruit and do impossible things when we're humble. And I've been learning a lot through um, a talk that Pete sent around by a guy called Phil Moore called Grace 3.0. So just type in Phil Moore, Grace 3.0, if you want to listen to that. It'll come up on Google. Or if you were at the uh, core leaders, um, Pete was sending you around an email with that. But it's just just powerful because you realize that, hey, if you've got everything you need for the season you're going into, you're probably doing it in your own strength. God's calling us to live outside of that and humbly go, God, if you're going to sort my family, if you're going to give me this or help me with this or my ministry in this, then it's going to be on his strength and not yours. It's about giving away our ability, our, giving away our sense of self-reliance and just becoming completely reliant on our Abba Father who always provides for us. And I'm going to finish up soon. Um, And we're going to spend just a moment before God just praying together because I think this affects us all in different ways. And I've been talking a little bit about finances and for some of you, that will be an area where you just, it's like, you know, one English guy said that some people hold on to their money so tight they make the queen cry. You know, and like I think a lot of us know that feeling where you're just like, you know, you've got it all so tightly bound. And actually God wants a generous people. Like if we're going to be a people that plant churches and raise up ministries to needy people and, and help those around us and reach out to our neighbours and our colleagues and, and, and see our kids become mighty warriors for God, we need to learn to not hold on to anything so tightly, as well as our finances, and just say, God, it's yours, and I'm going to be obedient, and I'm going to give it to you, knowing that whatever you give away, God will provide exactly what you need to be generous. So we're going to pray about that in a moment. But I just wanted to quickly ask you and ask the question, what does a person's life look like who's completely reliant on God? Now there are lots of things, but I've, I've got a few that I'd just like to highlight. They pursue the kingdom without thought of other people's approval. People who are relying on God, like Jesus, they can go for miracles when people, have, uh, people don't understand or when people don't agree with them. So a bit like um, Jesus, his, his disciples had, you know, they were like, Jesus, what, what are you talking about? How can we feed all these people? He was pretty alone in that moment, trusting in God, but he was able to step through that and be bold and pursue the kingdom. And actually, sometimes when, 
when you're reliant on God and you're stepping out, it, it can step on people's toes. <laughs> and Jesus stepped on religious people's toes all the time. And I'm not saying you go around upsetting people intentionally. Oh, it's just, I'm just living in the kingdom, you know. You're upset, I'm just living in the kingdom. No, but sometimes people won't understand you. And sometimes people won't get what, what you're going for. And sometimes you might get rejected by people. Like you offer to pray for someone at work and they, they go, you're weird, you know. A person who doesn't care about someone's approval is like, oh, well, I tried and God applauds me. And I'm going to love that person anyway. So we've already kind of looked at this, but... A person who's fully reliant on God is able to give generously without trying to earn favor or impress anyone. So the person who relies on God giving, whether it's finances, whether it's time, whether it's emotions, it's about worship. We worship God through that. And you don't do it so anyone else can see. You don't, like Jesus said, don't do your giving in in acts of public. You do it secretly because it's your Father in secret who will reward you. People who trust in God fully, they can dream big, God, big dreams in God and pursue them. When you're reliant on yourself, your dreams get pushed down to the level of what you think you can accomplish. When you can rely on God, you can dream big dreams and believe God to do it. My dad's really good on this. He says that you can dream big dreams in God, and if it's not going to happen, that's okay because God is big and he'll just show you a better way anyway. But it's your job to dream and believe God and pray in the things you've, he's put on your heart. What are your dreams? What are your dreams for this family? What are your dreams for your own family? We need you to dream big if we're going to accomplish what God's put in our heart for this church. Second to last, people who rely on God are able to live out on the edge and not live in the comfort zone. People like this are comfortable with being uncomfortable (laughs) because that's where they live. And sometimes they're uncomfortable to be around, too. People who, who believe God for big things, actually, it, it kind of puts a spotlight back on you. Like, I've been around people, and they say things, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's what you're really believing God to do? And, it, and it's a little bit uncomfortable. If you feel like you've been uncomfortable to be around because you're believing God for big stuff, don't, don't tone that down. Don't tone down your level of faith to match people around you. Just be loving and generous, but just be real with who you are and, and what God's called you to do. And the last one is this. They use what they have and what they don't have to bless other people. So Jesus used the, loaf, the loaves and the fish, but he didn't stop there. He used it and he blessed it, and then he went on to ask God for supernatural increase so that he could bless a lot more people. With every gift God gives you, he gives it as a gift to enjoy him, to, to enjoy your relationship with him, but it always has an outward flow of being able to bless other people around you. And we can, we can rely on God and say, God, see what I've got. I've got this little bit of time, or I've got this little bit of money, or I've got this little bit of uh, gifting in this area. God, would you multiply it so that I can bless more people? And that's what we're called to do, to use whatever gifts God has given us to, to just love those around us, to mother and father those around us, to build them up in the faith, whether they know Jesus or not. And then God ask, ask God to, to increase it and make it, make it supernaturally increase so we can do it more. So what have you got to give away? Maybe it's wisdom, time, friendship. Maybe it's a listening ear. Maybe it's you can pray for healing. You might think, well, I don't have this kind of stuff. Like You might think, hey, I'm in this church and I'm married 
and my, my spouse you know, doesn't know Jesus, so I don't have money to give because we do our finances together. That's, don't feel guilt about that. Ask God, what do I have? Do I have a bit of time? Do I have a gift? Do I have a smile? You might be a student and you don't feel like you don't have anything much at the moment, but you might have a bit of time for the person in your class who needs, um, who needs help with their work, or you might have a relative that just needs a bit of encouragement. Just ask God. Don't, don't focus on what you don't have. Say, God, what do I have? And then ask God to, to breathe on it and multiply it so that you can be a blessing to those around you. God multiplied the, the small amount of food in Jesus' arms and it was like enough for three quarters of the Westpac Stadium. I mean, wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? What would that look like? Maybe ask Tim Patterson when you get home. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the story. But, but it happens and, and God is the same God now. So that's what we want to believe him for, isn't it? I know time's rushing by. Why don't we just, why don't we just stand together?